Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a great edition, a super edition of Wrestling with the Future. I am your host, Psychic Medium Angelo, joined by my co-host, the irrepressible, irrefutable, undeniable Dan, the man Sebastiano. Danny, how you doing, brother? Great this evening, Angelo. How are you? I'm wonderful. That's a fine-looking hat you're sporting tonight, brother. I try. You're looking like a cross between Rico Costantino and Wolverine. <laughs> Joining us uh, right next to you, Dan, is uh, Mike Messier, actor, director, producer, writer, filmmaker extraordinaire, and a good friend of mine. Mikey, how you doing, bro? I'm doing great, uh, Angelo. I'm so excited for the guest tonight. I'm a longtime fan. Uh, going back to his days before the WWF, and I'm excited to have a great conversation. Uh, the fourth podcast in three days for me, and it's a lot of fun. It's, it sure is. You've been, I kept you busy this week. Yeah, it's been good. And, of course, uh, my dear friend, the guy I've known the longest, an independent wrestler of some 25 years, how he survived the business, God bless him, Mike Armageddon Murphy. Mikey, how you doing, pal? I'm good, Angelo. Always a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you, my friend. We are going to forego the formalities tonight, guys. We're uh, we're not going to talk about wrestling this evening. We're just going to get right into our guest. Uh, my guest tonight. Was, did Murphy fall off his chair? My guest tonight <laughs> is the uh, the son of Angelo and Judy Poffo. Little did they know that on December twenty eighth, nineteen fifty four. They would give birth to the genius renown, a man able to leap any ring in a single bound. My guest, ladies and gentlemen, the irrepressible, irrefutable, undeniable Lanny Poffo, the genius. How are you, Lanny? Oh, that was a great introduction. Thank you very much. And I'm still living in the past. God bless you, brother. We all are. We all are. Uh, Lanny, we keep it real around here, and um, so uh, I'm going to start with the realest guy in the room. I promised this because he begged me all afternoon, Lanny. He begged me all afternoon. Can I get the first question? Can I get the first? Yes, you can. Mike Murphy, I'm going to forego my question and shoot it right over to you. Mike Murphy, you got the first question. Well, thank you, Angelo. Lanny, it's, again, pleasure and an honor to be speaking with you. Uh, I'm going to take the questions a little bit in a different direction. I want to, I mean, I, I know and I've seen, you know, the genius and Leaping Lenny Poffo, you know, the wrestler. I want to know a little bit about uh, Lenny Poffo, the person, if you will. Uh, what was my first question? If you had a choice, anyone, any vehicle, what would be? Your dream car to drive. If you if you had your choice, money was no object. Good question. Well, that's a very good question, but uh, I'm going to give you a very boring answer because I consider <laughs> an automobile a death trap. You know, I've lost a lot of good friends driving too fast or driving with their head up their butt. You know what I'm saying? Not paying attention. Yeah, yes. So, um. I would say that the safest car on the road is the Mercedes-Benz. And oh. I've had a few of them, but I don't have one now. I'm driving a little Honda, a Honda Fit. And because I, I just don't use it much, 
um, and it's supposed to last forever. And um, I'm getting to the point where, and I live in a place where everything's walkable, and uh, I also use Uber and Lyft. So I'm 65, and uh, I don't enjoy driving. Um, so, but when I was in the wrestling business, um, Mercedes was the most dependable, safest car. Oh, very good. Terrific. Lanny, I know you're a bit of a, an environmentalist, and uh, you're, I, I would dare say, maybe even a naturalist. Um, is that something that, that has always been instilled in you from when you were young, or did you, as you got older, realize, you know, uh, the effects that we have on the environment and, and such and, uh, and change your, your human ways a bit? Well, I'm, I'm just a conscientious guy, and I read everything, and I believe some of it. And um, I'm even considering possibly um, getting a piece of land and building a geodesic dome, monolithic domes. They, uh, they flatten it out, they, they, they blow up, uh, and then they sh- shoot it with shotcrete from the inside, so it's like an egg. And then you have um, a very nice carbon footprint, very little. It doesn't take you much to heating and cooling. And yeah. everything is, uh, you know, and I'm amazed that more homes aren't like that, but I would like to set an example. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to do it, but I'm considering doing it. That's remarkable. It really is. You know, I actually know someone who has such a house, and it's literally a climate-controlled dome that's uh, largely fiberglass and resin. And it's if you're prepared to make that investment, God bless you, because it's not a cheap proposition. It's quite expensive. But I think uh, well worth the money if you have it. Well, you know, I'm just thinking about it. And uh, the company that I'm looking at is in Italy, Texas, which is famous because Dale Levins is from there. And she was the queen of the West. Yeah. Have you heard, have you heard of Dale Levins? Oh, sure. Roy Rogers' wife. Yeah, Roy right? Rogers' wife. Sure. Okay, excellent. I'm glad you knew that. <laughs> Otherwise, I think I'm talking to a couple of jabronis. Well, no, <laughs> this is. We consider ourselves among the most educated wrestling smart marks. I even hate that term, by the way, because if you're a mark, you're not smart, and if you're smart, you're not a mark. It's mutually exclusive. But <laughs> I was um, I was in Dallas uh, for the WrestleCon uh, annex to WrestleMania, and. Um, I wanted to do two things in Dallas. I wanted to go to Dealey Plaza and, you know, try to confirm my conspiracy theories over the assassination of John Fitzgerald Kennedy. And then I went to Italy, Texas, to check out the monolithic domes. And um, I really, maybe I was talking to the wrong person, but I couldn't get a straight answer, you know, and... I got a little bit disgusted with the situation, and uh, now I'm considering it again, uh, looking at, you know, trying to investigate. But yeah. it's something you want to measure twice and cut once. Yeah, absolutely. They, I am told, Lanny, that you have a, a pretty sharp memory, pretty impeccable. 
That's the word that was used to me. He's got an impeccable memory. So let me throw something at you. You remember, you and I actually met. I met uh, you and met your brother and Liz in Philadelphia, backstage at the Philadelphia Spectrum. We were introduced by my dear friend, Cal Rudman. Yes, it's coming back to me. We were, yeah, we were introduced by Cal Rudman. And uh, just as a side note, my my ex-wife, who uh, at the time made all the glasses for Jesse Ventura. She made all his eyewear. And uh, and Randy actually wanted a pair. <laughs> so we gave him a pair that night. But I digress. You and I did meet backstage at the Philadelphia Spectrum. I'm wanting to say somewhere about 85-ish, maybe. Somewhere around there. Uh-huh. So, now I know my, my co-host, Dan Sebastiano, has got a question for you. Go ahead, Danny. I do, Lanny. I appreciate the uh, chance to talk to you. Like I said, the intro is huge fan. Um, I actually had the I had the pleasure of meeting you at a wrestling convention a couple of years back, and you were very nice on all the interactions. And one of the things you said struck uh, struck me was you talked about the the a lot of the poetry and famous. I mean, easily Mount Rushmore of of talkers in the business. You're on it without question. You, I'm I'm curious uh, where. If you could maybe maybe shed a little more detail in your involvement, some of the famous promos and lines that you've cut through the years, how much of that was you and how much of that was somebody telling you what you were saying? Well, in my day, they didn't really tell you what to say. Um, now they're writing it all for you. So um, in my day, it was all me. And it was all Roddy Piper and it was all Jake the Snake Roberts. It was all Macho Man Randy Savage. You know, you really can't write for these people. They developed their own personalities, and uh, they didn't need a writer. That's why some of the wrestling today looks like they're reading, and that's because they are. Um, Yeah. um, I I really appreciate AEW for what they're doing with the the show being the elite, and they actually show the wrestlers with their personalities. So... Yeah. You know, if you're gonna, you gotta be yourself and just speak extemporaneously or develop your own character, and you really can't do that if you're reading somebody else's writing. Yeah, you know, Lanny, we actually had a rather spirited debate on the show the other night: um, bookers versus writers. So I was going to ask you where you stood on that subject, but I think you've answered that question. Uh, Pretty, pretty well, to be honest with you. Well, you lose a lot when you handcuff the wrestler uh, and make him, you know, but I can see why they corporately, you know, with the big business, I can see why they want to control everything. But that's yeah. called micromanaging. And I don't think you can micromanage a wrestler. Yeah, I know. I think you're right. I, if you, if you hogtie a wrestler... You know, uh, and you 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 bind him, for lack of a better word. You know, a a wrestler is a free spirited individual. They need to be able to use their mouth, their hands, their feet, their their body to tell a story. You can't tell. You can only tell so much of a story. 
on a piece of paper. And therein you lose translation. That's always been my opinion. That's always been my belief. I've had, of course, you know, Mike Messier and I have had uh, spirited debates back and forth on that subject matter. But it's interesting to hear someone in the business offer their opinion on it, especially someone who's been around for so long. Yeah, working with my uh, principal source of my revenue for 21 years. And uh, I don't watch it now, and it's not because, you know, well, I'm 65, and in 15 years I'll be 80, and I want to spend it doing what I want to do. I don't want to spend it doing stuff, you know, that I don't want to, that I don't feel, you know, I've got a bucket list a mile long, and I'm working on, uh, you know, trying to accomplish in my life what I want to, and uh, I've got, you know, I've got a lot of plans for myself, and I don't want to be watching hours and hours of wrestling. Um, And who could blame you? Absolutely. I'm I'm a little saturated, in other words. Yeah, and no one could blame you for wanting to actually have a life. You know, you... And another, like another reason, too, um, I don't spend time writing love letters to Julia Roberts, because I know (laughs) she's not going to write me back. Exactly. So, wrestling is a fickle mistress, and I would rather be with women that actually like me. Wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Lana, you've had a chance to see the world. You, um, you've been all over the place, all over the country, international. You've been uh, overseas. What's the one place, the single one place, if you had to pick one that you haven't been to that you'd really like to to put to to add to that bucket list, so to speak? Well, it would be um, uh, Norway for the fjords, and um, I was going to go, um, and I still might, uh, because I'm going to. Hopefully, when this virus thing is over, or hopefully, um, yeah. in Halloween, I'm going to Liverpool, England, and then I've got some friends from Swindon, England, and we're all going to the fjords of Norway because they haven't seen them either. And um, that's a fjord is where the iceberg goes through the mountain and takes millions of years. And yeah. it's a very beautiful thing. Um, and I hate to say this, but if you go on YouTube, you can just about see all the fjords you want. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? So, um, but being there is, is awesome. Well, I was the just other... going to say, it's it's nothing like being there. It's really yeah. not. It's true. Len, it's... we have, during the course of the week, we put out questions to people. You know, if they had any questions or comments for you. We had a couple of questions actually came in for you. And, uh, so these are from our listeners and viewers. Uh, let me rattle one off to you. This is uh, from Dennis Lane. And Dennis writes, Lanny, you wrestled Harley Race in 1978 for the NWA Championship. Was that your first big title defense? And how did you get that opportunity? It was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I was very excited to wrestle Harley Race, and he uh, led me through one of the greatest matches of my life at the time. 
So what a professional. I was very sad when he passed away. And I'm very appreciative that as a young man, I was able to wrestle, wrestle one of the all-time greats, Harley Race. The next question comes from Benny Scala. It says, hello, Lanny. I got to meet you a few months ago in Ocala. I even got to hear you sing. My question is, were you ever given a reason why the gorgeous George gimmick wasn't given a shot? Just my opinion, but with your track record as the genius, you should have been given the ball and allowed to run with it. That's from Benny Scala in Florida. Well, where in Florida is he? Ocala? Ocala, Florida. Yes, I was there recently working for Dory Funk Jr. And, uh, of course, he's old enough not to be a junior anymore. <laughs> so, right. anyway, thank you for saying that, Benny. However, um, I wouldn't have done well as Gorgeous George because uh, I bleached my hair and it turned red. And then I bleached it some more professionally, too. And by the time it got blonde, it started to fall out. And within a month, I didn't look like Gorgeous George. I looked like the Scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) (laughs) Our next question comes, Ashley Lanny, from a mutual friend of yours, yours and I. And you'll know when I ask the question. I'm not even going to tell you. I'm just going to ask the question. Ask Lanny. Is his favorite bakery still Bellinopoly? I worked the show with him and brought him 10 different Italian pastries. He was so afraid to leave them in the locker room that he sat on them and after and ate them one after another. He wrestled. I think he loves the place. So let's talk about our mutual friend, Tony Villano. And what the hell is he talking about? Well, the thing is, uh, Tony Villano, um, he's from near Amsterdam, New York, and that's where he had his Hall of Fame. Yeah. And he took me to Bella Napoli, Napoli, Bella Napoli, which means beautiful Naples. Yes. And, and Naples is where 120 years ago they invented pizza. Yes. Uh, and I think it's caught on a bit. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Yes, and uh, so I remember he said, well, what can I get for you here? This is the best Italian pastry shop there is. And I said, look, I'm going to go to the bathroom. You go ahead and order for me. And he did, and I got a sampler of everything they had. (laughs) And uh, I loved it. I mean, you know, know, I'm only half Italian, but I think about my grandmother yelling, manja. You know, yeah, yeah, actually, Tony told me that I know I know Tony and he's a friend of mine. And I said, well, I'll ask him, Tony. Absolutely. I said, (laughs) Lonnie, it's funny. Your mother used to tell you, Manja, my grandmother used to tell me, start to see. (laughs) 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 well let's let's talk a little bit about you know i'll tell you god bless you brother an italian father and a jewish mother oy vey jesus crazy yeah not too not too much damage done got to feel guilty for everything 
<laughs> so you can't have Lanny Poffo and not talk at least a little bit about wrestling. So, um, you know, it's funny, Lanny, when I, when I listen to you speak and I've seen a lot of your interviews and, and heard you and you're a very articulate guy and, you know, thank you for dispelling the myth that wrestlers are just muscle heads who can't think. Um, you're quite articulate and very intelligent. Um, being the, the son of Angelo Poffo, did you have a choice in whether to be a wrestler or not? Because I'll tell you what, man, I, I don't know if this was ever part of your plan, but you'd have made a hell of a teacher. Well, thank you, Grassi, uh, and everything. But uh, I wouldn't have made a hell of a teacher at all. I don't have the patience for it. Okay, <laughs> and uh, I mean, the best teacher I ever had was in the fifth grade, and um, she was wonderful, and we're still friends. And uh, she's—I think she's going to be my God, eighty-five now, you know, and we're. You know, I still call her for her birthday. She calls me for mine. And um, you're let, let, let's let's back really, up a second. Let's just back up a second here. Your fifth grade teacher is still alive, and you still communicate with her. That's remarkable. remarkable. Well, I really liked her. And uh, she, the second day of school, she says, "Mr. Papo, I need to see you at three twenty, which is when we got out of school." And she says, Lanny, I've had you write two papers. Tell me about yourself and how I spent my summer vacation. And what you wrote was just wonderful. You could be a great writer. And I said, I could? <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow, that was so great. And uh, so then I was like the Casey and the Sunshine Band. But the, the baby ain't seen nothing yet. Every time I wrote, it was <laughs> to be a great writer. And she got yeah. me conscientious about my writing because she discovered me. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And yeah. then Whoa. I was also very lucky. Twice in my life, I met Shel Silverstein. Oh, God, sure. He wrote The Giving Tree, yeah. Light in the Attic, Falling Up. He also wrote some fantastic songs that <laughs> people don't know. Um, he wrote uh, The Unicorn Song. Uh, he wrote uh, A Boy Named Sue for Johnny Cash. Yeah, sure did. Absolutely, you, he sure if, he did. If you, would, if you would look him up, you would see that he's also a cartoonist for Playboy magazine. And uh, quite a, you know, it's amazing who God puts in your life. Oh, absolutely. I, I absolutely concur with that. No question about that. You know, timing is everything, but placement runs a close second. It really does. Mike Messier, you are chomping at the bit. Go ahead. Lanny uh, Poffo, one of the great memories I have of your career is the poetry, because uh, as a high school uh, student, I started writing poetry myself. And uh, the Frisbees with the poems on them as a baby face in the WWF, and then later with the scrolls and as the genius. But even before that, in... Um, the Tennessee uh, Mid-Southern Territory, you were kind of starting that character of the poet, almost like a medieval knight. And yeah. um, it was one of the few times in, in my memory that 
a wrestler from the territory system, so to speak, had been establishing a character or a personality, a gimmick, as you as you might call it, and then that was not destroyed or changed by the WWF, but actually embraced and flourished and added to. So as a compliment to yourself, they must have enjoyed the poetry and the night battle, you know, the battle armor of the night and brought that with you from, you know, the mid Southern Tennessee territory to the New York, uh, WWF. Can you, can you explore that topic a bit as far as the actual poetry, the night suit and all that, all those great things that were with Lady Poffo? Yeah, very good question. And I'm going to do my best. I think I got a two prong answer for you. Number one, um, it all happened because I was a guest on Tuesday Night Titans, TMT, on the USA Network. Did you ever see that show? Yeah, oh, so you, absolutely. You, read, you read a poem for Hulk Hogan in the night suit. Yes, I did. But before that, um, I was on, and, you know, I realized that here I am, a baby face without a gimmick, which is boring right there. <laughs> um, if I was going to be boring on the on the USA Network, on the TNT show, I would probably never be invited back again. So I decided, well, there must be a way that I can be. So I decided I'm going to play my aces. So I got my suit of armor, and I walked out there, and I had written a poem for the occasion. And I said, um, look back through the annals of history and the Wrestling Hall of Fame. Men from all nations with courage to spare, who struggled to carve out a name. Now compare these high standards of valor to those infamous knights of yore. With grave with bravery staunches their armor, their glory both legend and lore. My medieval connection with wrestling, we live that magnificent past. Though mindless skeptics may snicker and scoff, the winner is he who laughs last. Allied with the love of wrestling. I appear on TNT between Vince and awful Alfred, the hottest show on TV. I'm not your average wrestler, but I wouldn't want to be. I never scream or kiss my arms. I'm happy just being me. I call myself Leaping Lanny. I validate what I say to every single wrestling fan who's watching USA. Yes, I believe in miracles. As God has blessed this great land, I believe the referee will soon be raising my hand. And then we went to commercial, and during the commercial break, Vince says, Lenny, that was great. From now on, you do a poem before every match. And Nothing like act, a little pressure, right? Well, I tried to act a little blasé about it, but inside I was going, yes! You know, I, I got a gimmick now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, whether you were encouraged, you know, to to continue to do that. Were you able to, you know, just at random pull stuff out of thin air? Yes and no. Um, I would say not really, but um, what I did was I, I just got myself a 49-cent little spiral notebook, and I started writing poems about everybody that I could possibly write a poem about in the territory, whoever I happened to be wrestling. And then I also wrote some generic ones. So it wouldn't be confined in case they surprised me. So I was able to 
keep enough poetry on hand ready to go at any moment. Yeah. And there's a lot of downtime in wrestling, and a lot of times you're on a plane, you might as well write poetry. So I wrote poetry every day, so I would always have enough. <clears throat> so I could uh, yeah. CYA, cover my butt, you know, um, sure. in case I was surprised. Absolutely. Dan, go ahead, brother. Yeah, uh, Lanny, uh, I was hoping you could expand on that. Mike brought up a good point about the the territory and the character. As far as the artistic side, uh, I was hoping you could expand on how the mindset goes writing a face poem versus writing a heel poem. Is it is it the same mentality, or does do you have to kind of put yourself in a different mindset? Well, the heel poem is much easier because then you just you know, make a nice heel ending, you know, like um, with a lot of braggadocia and a lot of, you know, a lying, so whatever. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> but the babyface poem, um, you know, does, do you guys know Al Costello? Ever hear of him? Well, yeah, the Kangaroos, well, absolutely. The fabulous well, Kangaroos. Yeah, when I was, when, when Macho Man and I were just boys, um, just going to the wrestling to watch my dad. The fabulous kangaroos were, um, they would bring boomerangs into the ring, actually carved by an aboriginal. Yeah. Um, and, you know, of course, they can't throw that to the audience because you kill somebody. But um, they had little cardboard ones made, which had printing on it and pictures of Roy Hefferman, Al Costello, and some information about the um the, the fabulous kangaroos and when they would throw them from the ring the fans would scamper to get them and two of the people scampering was my brother and i so yeah. i understand the joy that it gives the fans that a wrestler is throwing something at them as a souvenir sure so i decided well maybe i'll do the scroll but the scroll didn't get over because when you stand at the ropes and you try to toss a scroll, it doesn't even make it past the guardrail much. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, I've got to do something aerodynamic, but I can't do a boomerang because I'm not from Australia. And that's not my gimmick. So it just hit me, frisbees. And then I ordered 500 with, and I wrote a generic poem on the cover, on the front part of it. Yeah. And, um, and then when I was all out of frisbees, and about to reorder, um, the people in WWF marketing asked me if I they would it would be okay if they marketed my frisbees, and I said, "Oh my God, yes, that'd be great." Sure. Uh, and then, um, win, lose, or draw, I would always go to the venue and autograph the frisbees for the fans. And um, you know, when I was growing up, or maybe a little afterwards. Um, the richest man in the world was Sam Walton. Yes. And um, he was a guest on, and they said, he started Walmart, you know? Sure. And Sam's place and everything. And they said, how does a boy, a poor boy from Bentonville, Arkansas, become the richest man in the world? He says, I live by two rules. Sell for less, and be nice to people. And I said, wow. 
And I remembered that all my life. Sell for less and be nice to people. So I couldn't sell for less because they were doing the Frisbees at $3, you know, and that was their price. Yeah. But being nice to people, that came easily for me. And they also asked him, well, do you hire people at Walmart and train them to be nice? And he says, no. He said, I don't train anybody to be nice. I hire nice people. Very interesting. Yeah, and I remembered it, and I was nice to the fans, and they were very nice to me, and we sold out of Frisbees every night. And even if the fan didn't buy a Frisbee, I was always nice. And even if, in other words, well, I was com- compl- compliant with anything they wanted to do because they were the fan, they bought a ticket, and I wanted to give a positive impression. Well, let's talk about those times that the fans weren't so positive in return. You, uh, of course, you know, you had the baby face run. Then you had a rather interesting heel turn. And no one could have expected a heel Lanny Poffo. You just didn't look the part. You looked like a nice guy. Everybody knew you were a nice guy. But when you came out and cut that nasty promo in Boston, I thought to myself, oh, shit. <laughs> Lanny's a heel. <laughs> how did how did it play for you? I know how it played for us. How did the heel turn play for you? Were you comfortable in your own skin? Well, I was married and had a daughter. So my my main concern was not whether I was comfortable, but whether I was going to keep putting the food on the table and paying the bills. Yeah. And uh, now I am divorced. My daughter is going to be 36 on May 29th. And um, she has given me two beautiful gifts a five-month-old grandson, and a three-year-old grandson. Now, God bless she you. Congratulations. She doesn't, like, she doesn't like any publicity, so I'm not going to mention anything else, but I'm just going to say um, she lives about two hours away by plane, and thank God for FaceTime. Amen. Amen. And uh, So anyway, I go to Boston, and don't forget, Chief J. Strombo says, you can't be a heel. You're too good looking. And, yeah. Uh, they were well, that's why I brought gonna, it up. <laughs> well, they were gonna, they were gonna fire me. They had, you know, the the gimmick of leaping Lanny was five years old, and I was starting to, you know, get tired, or they yeah. were tired of me, one of the two. So I said, well, what? He says we got too many baby faces. We need heels. I said, why don't you make me a heel? It'll solve your problem. One less baby face and one more heel. Oh, so, so it was your idea. It was because I was fighting for my very existence. Yeah, so, see, and I want—I know a little bit about that. I wanted to ask you about that. Um, I know that at the time, the the company was very face heavy, very face heavy, and the problem that I ran into as a fan was I quite frankly got sick and tired of seeing the same seven or eight face, you know, uh, heels all the time, you know? And so I didn't know that it was actually your idea. I thought, I I know that that Chief J. Strongbow was instrumental in it in some capacity, but I wasn't sure. Um, So 
you say to the chief, you know, I'll I'll be a heel. Make me a heel. No, I Chief J. Stronger was in the room. Oh, was, okay. I was, I was thinking to Vince McMahon. Oh, I got you. And okay. I said, why don't you make me a heel? And Chief interrupts and says, you can't be a heel. You're too good looking. And I said, well, you were a baby face for 30 years, and you're the ugliest man I've ever met. How's <laughs> <laughs> that for a heel promo? Oh, well, shit. I and I and then I said, I said you're a facie bruta. Yeah, I know what facie bruta. <laughs> my my grandsons are facie belly. Yeah. So, so yeah, anyway, facie, um, for those uh, for those are non Italians, facie bruta means an ugly face. Yes, Chief Jay Stronger was an ugly face. Beautiful face. <laughs> And he and he was yeah. the Elizabeth Warren. He was an Elizabeth Warren Indian. Uh, his, his real name was Joe Scarpa. The Scarpa, yeah, and, he was Italian. Yeah, which means Joe Shoe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so he could have oh, been shit. a heel. Get it? <laughs> I, yeah, so, I, I understand completely. <laughs> oh, so, dear. So Mike was, Murphy, so go ahead. Said, so I said, look, I, I'll go out there and I'll become a heel right now, and. Um, they said, well, Vince says, well, if you can do that, then we'll talk. So I go out there and I said, and I thought to myself, what can I say in Boston to really get these people mad at me? So I said, well, what do they love? Okay. So I, you know, here I go. Um, he goes, um, my name is Lanny Popo. I always know what's up. The Bruins haven't got a chance to win the Stanley Cup. The people go, oh. <laughs> the, Red, the Red Sox haven't won in years. I hope they never do. The Celtics are a travesty. The Patriots are too. And then I start the third verse and a fan tries to jump in the ring and I nail them. And then, and then I start the third verse and another fan jumps in the ring, but this time the police were there and uh, they canceled the show. It was a mini riot. Then, I went back yeah. to the locker room, and he yeah. says, "Well, it looks like you weren't as good looking as we thought." And they thought of a gimmick. <laughs> and I said, "How about Boy Genius?" And he says, "I like it. That's great." He says, "We'll call you the Genius Lanny Popo, and then we'll do six vignettes, and then we'll can Lanny Popo, and it'll be just the Genius." Yeah. And I said, "Nothing doing, Vince. I'll do it my way, or I'll walk." No, that's not what I said. <laughs> no. <laughs> I said. Yes, sir. I'll do my very best, sir. So anyway, and I did my very best. And uh, I remember when we made the six vignettes, there was two people only at the in the uh, studio. There yeah. was the makeup lady, and Howard Finkel was producing. And um, yeah. what a fantastic person he was! And I'm so sorry he passed away a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, big loss. Oh yes, but he was. I understand he was very ill. He had a few yeah. strokes, and he was in uh, like a a home, you know, toward the end there. Yeah. So maybe it's for the best. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, you know, Howard's uh, last few years weren't good. Sadly, they weren't good. Did you visit him at all, or do you know anything? No, I I, I knew people that were very close to Howard. I met him a couple of times over the years. Um. But I know that he had uh, an, an increasing amount of health issues. Um, he had uh, a diabetes. He was, you know, 
largely overweight. Um, he had other internal. Uh, he, uh, he had stuff that I'd rather not go into, it, but he had a lot of stuff going on with him. He just it was just a lot, a lot to deal with. Yeah, he had a lot to deal with. I'll tell you privately this week. I'll give you a call. Um, but there was a, a lot going on. Mikey Murphy, I know you're you're over there salivating to talk to Lanny. <laughs> uh, Lanny, uh, two-part question. Uh, one, as far as wrestlers to work, who was your favorite wrestler to work? And did they ever run the idea of possibly having the genius tag up with Mr. Perfect? Okay, the genius did tag up with Mr. Perfect. Uh, you're oh, probably you thinking of it. You're probably thinking about tagging up with the Macho Man, which the only time we were in the ring together is when I coronated him the Macho King and wrote a poem for the occasion. And the only other time I was had anything to do with him professionally is when I inducted him into the Hall of Fame in 2015. Right. So those were the two times that our shadows crossed. Um, the best. When I was leaping Lanny, the best heels that I ever worked with were Harley Race, Terry Funk, Bob Orton Jr., Jake Roberts, and believe it or not, Kamala. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sure. And wow. they, although it was a different type of match, you know, it worked for me. I loved it. And as a heel, of course, my favorite person to wrestle was Hulk Hogan because after 21 years of being either a big fish in a little pond or a little fish in a big pond. I got four months of main events in the WWF and I, Oh, and I'm very appreciative. I, I wasn't chosen cause I was special. I was special because I was chosen and I was chosen by Hulk Hogan and I will never be done being appreciative to him for all he's done for me. Lanny, what do you make of, um, what Hulk's been going through the last few years is life hasn't been good to him. Uh, or certainly the public perception of life hasn't been good to him over the last couple of years. Well, he had everything going for him and then his son got an automobile accident, right? Yeah. And, um, and that, that ex Marine got, got himself, uh, Oh, Oh, I, you know what? I visited the, um, I go to the veterans hospital sometimes and sure. that's where I met, uh, John Graziano. Um, yeah. and you know, and his family was there and, Oh, it was awful. It was horrible. Um, yeah. I, mean, I would beg you to pick a pillow and put it over my face and end me, you know, because a plant has more awareness than that boy does, you know? Yeah. So, Anyway, I don't mean to, you know, talk like that, but it was... No, but look, you know, like I, I said at the beginning, Lanny, we keep it real here. You know? Okay, well, I'm going to keep it real. Wear your seatbelt and drive the speed limit. And don't be racing around like a fool. Absolutely. Because this happens to... This, first of all, if you do everything right, you can still get killed. Yep. Yeah. You know, and... But, but why would you want to do everything wrong? And, you know, it's better to take a minute off your life than take your life in a minute. Absolutely. Yep. No Absolutely. question about it. Words of wisdom. So anyway, so his son got in trouble and went to jail. Then he got taped, you know, saying something that he shouldn't. And then he suffered the ramifications of it. And uh, 
the thing is, I still love and respect and am appreciative to Hulk Hogan because I was the stick of gum on the bottom of his shoe that he couldn't get off for four months. And because of that, I have two main events in Madison Square Garden, one in the Philadelphia Spectrum, and several all hey. over the world. Lanny, he could have chosen anybody to 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 play that you know, um, adversary against him. Why did he choose you? Were you ever given a reason by, uh, by Terry as to why you were the guy he wanted? Well, I'm going to, I, I don't know for sure, but I'm going to take a guess because almost everything in my life was enhanced because I am the brother of the macho man, Randy Savage. And right. at the time they were friendly. And possibly that was the reason that they did Randy a favor by helping me. And uh, Randy was always looking out for me. And I know that you said, don't ask about anything but me. Don't ask about Randy and everything. But, you know, I'm going to tell you, Angelo, I have a little bit of survivor's guilt. You know what that is? I do. Actually, I, I lost a sister, so I can absolutely relate to you. Well, it is a thing, you know. And um, I love talking about Randy, especially since somebody lies about him. I like to tell the truth about him. And oh, I like no to question. Set the record straight. And yeah. then what I liked about doing these speeches for the Hall of Fame, I didn't talk about what a great man he was, but what a good man he was. And that's what the fans needed to know. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I want to stop you there for a second because I did absolutely catch that. Uh, I've listened to that speech probably a half a dozen times in anticipation of this interview. Um, And I want to make it clear, um, you could speak about anything you wish. I was making it clear to my panelists and uh, the guys that I work with on a weekly basis that Lanny Poffo has done innumerable interviews over the last several years. And I get to hear Lanny talk about Randy and Randy and Randy. And I want to hear Lanny talk about Lanny. Um, I certainly understand survivor's guilt. As I said, Lanny, uh, I lost a sister at age 58. So I I can absolutely, you know, uh, put myself in your shoes in that regard. Um, But let's be honest about it. You know, you're the older brother now and you have a life and your life goes on. Um, and you have a story to tell and it's your story. You know, uh, part of your story, of course, is your brother. You know, they're probably I, I dare say and, you know, cut me off if you think I'm wrong. But I dare say without Randy Savage, we probably wouldn't know who Lanny Papo is. Absolutely. Um, he's enhanced every part of my life. Even now, as the brother of the Macho Man, um, it's opened doors for me even now. I oh, get I'm offers sure. all the time to do stuff because, you know, I'm uh, the last surviving uh, person in a royal family. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I didn't, uh, and as I said to you uh, when we spoke on the phone, you know, it's uh, no uh, disrespect intended 
to Randy whatsoever. I met Randy uh, the night that I met you at the Philadelphia Spectrum. Randy could not have been he could not have been nicer to me. He was just a sweet, sweet guy, really nice guy to me, uh, and even introduced me to Liz. Um, and and I remember that night, and I'll never forget it. Um, but a- again, you know, Lanny Poffo has a story, and it's Lanny's story. And I know that uh, my co-host Dan Sebastiano, Dan the Man, wants to ask you about some of that story. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, uh, I know uh, we had spoken about this being more y- focused on you, but I was hoping to expand on one question it's more common today. You see it a lot today where they uh, outside the, the Samoan family, uh, they don't play up any relationships whatsoever. You mentioned you mentioned the career. <clears throat> excuse me. Career with how you and your only interacted twice. Ever talk of playing up your connection to Savage? You know, you were coming in and out. Did anybody have an audio yeah, problem his... with? Yeah. Dan, One second. Dan, go go ahead and repeat that, Dan. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, I was asking, outside of the Samoan family, outside of the Samoan family, they don't play up any relationships, any, any sibling relationships, even though there are several high-profile sibling relationships currently in wrestling. I mean, I would say outside the Rhodes brothers, obviously, but... Uh, you, you mentioned you and Randy had only interacted twice. Was there ever a plan or talk of, of really playing up that, hey, the genius is Randy Savage's brother, especially during his Macho King run when that would have been a really natural pairing? Well, what I did was um, I used to just show up, shut up, and do the best I could. And whatever bones they would throw me, I would take advantage of I did it for five years, and then they made me the genius. Um, I got four months of main events out of it, and then when the program was over, I started spiraling downward until I was finally, eventually, wished luck on my future endeavors, and I think you know what that means. Sure. You're fired. Absolutely. Okay, and then I was rehired with the Beverly Brothers, and then I was gone forever around 1994. And I look back, it's one of the, um, I was very, very happy. Um, I have no complaints. I got to see the world, Australia, New Zealand, all throughout Europe, Asia, everywhere in the United States and Canada. How many people get to travel like that and it doesn't cost them a penny. In fact, they make money. Absolutely. You know, what, what saddens me is that, uh, that WWF uh, slash WWE at the time, didn't take full advantage of the fact that you and Randy are siblings. Um, it seemed to me your time in Mid South, of course, with you know ICW and Mid South uh, Wrestling, Jerry Lawler uh, in Memphis. Not only did they acknowledge the relationship, but they actually played it up, including having your father involved in uh, in certain aspects uh, of your angles why did that not translate to the northeast lanny well uh did you are you aware of the legend battle royal that occurred at the meadowlands in 1987 
Yes. Sadly, I am very, very familiar with it. Um, I know people that were supposed to be in it uh, who thought they were going to get a phone call uh, and were left by the wayside. I know that happened with Angelo Poffo. Yes. Um, my dad asked my brother if he would. In fact, my father found out from Al Costello. Al Costello was going to be in it. And then my, I was there and, the, you know, Randy and I were on the road. We came over to visit our parents. And then uh, my dad said, hey, is there any way you can get me on that battle royal? And uh, my brother said, don't worry, it's done. I'm going to do it. And then I was in, I think, the cap center in Landover, Maryland. And um, so what happened was um, Randy comes up to me. And he says, they're not going to let dad into the battle royal. And I said, why not? And he says, because there are no good blank, 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 this, and that. I can't be given, <laughs> just just uh, picture the worst and multiply it by five, and there you are. Absolutely, okay. yeah. And he was, and uh, he blamed two guys, Pat Patterson and Jay Strongbow. Yeah. And, uh, and then... From then on, he never was nice to either one again. But he stayed in the he stayed around. You know, he was going to quit. He was very angry. And, yeah. Um, so you know, the thing is, it's about favor, not merit. And I saw that yeah. Battle Royal recently. You know, and um, there were, if you say the excuse, we've already got twenty guys. Well, I'm going to say there were two guys that didn't belong in the Battle Royal. Um, Nick Bockwinkle and Tony Gurria. Why? Absolutely. Because because everybody else looked like they just going to break a hit, and these yeah. two guys would look, still look like main eventers in yeah. the real. You know, Tony Gurria and Nick Bockwinkle were big, strong, handsome guys in the ring with eighteen geriatrics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it didn't. You know. Well, so you know, Lanny. I I know people. Uh, that were with the company at the time. And I know people who could pinpoint that moment and said, said to me and, and people within my circle at the time, because I did business with WWF uh, back in the day. And they said that was the moment they could see a clear and visible change in Randy Savage. That from yeah, that point on, that. it was... It was fuck them all. It's just business now. That's right. That's right. And, uh, Go ahead. You use the right words, though. You use the right words. That's what Randy. That's the f bomb that Randy likes to use when he's angry. Yeah. And uh, so, right after that battle royal, Strongbow has got a sling on his arm and his cast. And Randy says, right in front of the boys, "What happened to you?" Oh, uh, Luthez threw me over the top rope and broke my arm. And Randy says, Lutez didn't break your arm. You broke your own arm because you're too effing fat. You're a disgrace <laughs> to the business, and you always have been. And I said, oh, my I God. I heard that. Is this, is this the way he's going to talk now? He says, hey, I was a gentleman for two years. They don't love me anyway, so screw him. Exactly. <laughs> Go ahead, Murphy. Yeah, I was going to say, that Battle Royal, wasn't that known as, uh, what was it, the, the brawl for the Geritol? Right. <laughs> yes. The Bronx of the Geritol and the Metamucil. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. Mike Messier, go ahead, Mikey. Well, I, I wanted to, you know, give Lanny a, a little vote of confidence here because um, talking about Lanny's career in the WWF specifically, I remember seeing you as a young child. Uh, I was the young child in the audience. You wrestled Iron Mike Sharp in the first match of the night at the Providence Civic Center, I think in July of 1985, to a 20-minute draw. And even as a kid, having read the wrestling magazines, I was like, how come this guy from Memphis is wrestling uh, sharp to a draw? A couple of matches later, you know, your brother got a victory over S.D. Jones, and it was one of the first educational experiences to me that these two guys are equally talented, and it's really just... Who does the promoter in any given territory want to push his pencil towards? And in that case, it was the macho man and not yourself. But you hung in there and you you did your baby face run for two or three or four years. And then when the opportunity presented itself, you took the advantage of um, turning heel. And similar in a way to Brett the Hitman Hart, who started off in the opening match of the second match of his show, Bret Hart, at one point, became a main eventer. And with your victory over Hulk Hogan on Saturday night's main event, you went from the guy wrestling Iron Mike Sharp for 20 minutes uh, to the guy beating Hulk Hogan uh, via countout, but nonetheless, a victory over Hulk Hogan on national television, worldwide television, which really only three or four guys ever did in that WWF Hulkamania run. So you got to give yourself credit, Lanny. It's not just because... You were somebody's brother or son. You did a lot of work on your own. You kept yourself in great shape. Uh, you know, for a guy who was uh, not six foot nine, but you held yourself in there quite well with the Giants. I think you have to be pretty proud of your own individual uh, body of work. Well, I look back on all of it with um, some pride and uh, very little regret. Um, the only regret I have is uh, I felt to, in 1989 when I was getting ready to be the genius, I had a little adventure with a drug called decadorabalin, which is a steroid. And yeah. I'm, I'm not telling you this because I'm proud of it. I'm telling you this because you have a big audience and maybe somebody out there is considering taking steroids. And I'm here to say, please don't. Um, the health yeah. is more important than the wealth. As a matter of fact, without health, you're nothing. Absolutely. I got away. I got away with it, but I'm warning you and your audience, whoever's thinking about it, please don't. Well, I, I, you know what? At picking up on that point, I remember seeing you in in Philadelphia a few times, and then. For, I don't know, probably six or seven months, you disappeared. And when you came back, brother, you were jacked. You were well, jacked up. Yeah, and I thought to myself, what the hell is he doing? Because, you know, I mean, exercise and hanging and banging and saying your prayers and eating your vitamins, brother, you know, will will do so much for you. But, you know, a shot in the ass with Decca will, will do a hell of a lot more. <laughs> did did you feel the, the ramifications of that? And how did that, that newfound physique translate into your work or lack thereof in some cases? 
Well, it was right after my match with Hulk Hogan. I was in the shower, and I took a good, honest look at my genital situation. And my testicles had shrunk to the size of raisins. And I decided, you know, you ever play Monopoly in jail or just visiting? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay, in jail or just visiting. Well, it was either I was on main events or just visiting. Yeah. The only reason I bet with Hulk Hogan is because Hulk can't work with Hulk Hogan. Um, so he yeah. he needs somebody else to wrestle. So he always needs an opponent. Sure. Well, right. I was his opponent, and I'm thinking to myself, well, I got to the pinnacle. I'm just visiting, and now I'm going to tear the to take the needle out. And when yeah. I did, all those beautiful jack muscles looked like a balloon at the end of the party. Yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, deflated well it wasn't oxygen it was water yeah absolutely so so anyway um so when i took the needle out i noticed i had a a lack of libido or sex drive but i was but i was married at the time so it made no difference at all (laughs) okay then Any of the married men on the panel want to comment on that (laughs) i'm keeping my fucking mouth shut yeah no no comment Lanny, can I follow up with the on that topic? If without without putting anyone under the bus there on that topic, was that something the steroid use or abuse? Was that something in the locker rooms that was prevalent in the mid eighties, late eighties, early nineties? Was that something that was kind of a a running concern or a running topic? Were guys concerned about their physique so much that they felt self pressure or exterior pressure to take substances like that? Well, I guess, you know, it was legal back then. And this was before the big scandal. Hang on a minute. Sure. Amazon, stop. Okay. They started, for some reason, they thought I wanted to hear some music. I got, <laughs> I got elected, but I changed its name, you know. So anyway, yeah, you know, the, there's a lot of, uh, even when I got myself all jacked up, I still had the worst physique in the locker room. I mean, you had um, Ultimate Warrior, um, Warlord, Barbarian, Tony Atlas. Um, you know, how many, every, everywhere you looked, there was another muscle guy. Sure. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was, at my best, I wasn't one of the best, you know, in the muscle department. Yeah. Go ahead, Dan. Um. I was hoping to steer the conversation a little bit. Uh, We were talking a minute ago about your promo in in Boston. I I want you to know, um, while not involved in the business, the persona that I have doing panels and various other things in wrestling commentary is the smartest man in the room, heavily inspired by you. I I want to commend you that I could spend hours writing some of the statements I would have to make or some of the promos. The fact that you... Your famous promo in Boston was literally, uh, I'm going to go turn heel now. Bam. That is, at like I said earlier, Mount Rushmore of talkers. But speaking of being the smartest man in the room, I was hoping to expand a bit on your famous contract with WCW. Because you were talking about as the years went on. That first was brilliant. Actually, first brilliant. time I actually ever met you was at a, an event sponsored by WCW. And like most fans, I didn't even realize you worked for the company. I was um, I was hoping you could kind of expand on on that 
story, that part of your, your career? Well, Randy and I had something in common. We had both been uh, taken to the cleaners in our, in our marriages. Randy more famously with Elizabeth, me privately, but the story's the same. You start over. And yeah. Randy had an idea for me to be Gorgeous George. He wanted me to bleach my hair. Uh, I even got a, uh, what do you call that, uh, hair weave or something, uh, a little bit more hair in the back, you know. Oh, yeah, uh, a weave, sure. Yeah. Whatever it was. And yeah. it was professionally done. Um, mm -hmm. And then, but even so, you know, I lost a lot of hair and uh, looked like the Scarecrow and the Wizard of Oz, you know. I mean, really, I wasn't Gorgeous Georgie. I was, I was pretty sloppy for Gorgeous George. But I did my best. I trained. I got in the sunbed. I did everything Randy asked. Every time he saw me, he checked my progress. In the meantime... Randy didn't just go to WCW. He, he took something with him, the Slim Jim contract, and he gave it to Ted Turner worth $750,000 a year. Yes, sure was. So it was then easy for him to get me a contract, even though, um, you know, and they, they had a kind of a revolving booking committee. Um, so there was people that wanted to bring me in and the people that didn't want to bring me in. And I, what really happened is I stayed under contract. I never got brought in. Yeah. And uh, I saved my money and invested it wisely. And, uh, you know, it's, you call it ill-gotten funds if you want, but I was working out ready to, it wasn't my intention to be a welfare recipient, but I'll guarantee you, it, Vince McMahon wouldn't have allowed it. He would never right. have allowed it. Oh, you absolutely. Know. But see, when you're dealing with OPM, happened. When you're dealing with OPM, other people's money, yeah, uh, mm -hmm. that's what happens. That's what the government does. You know, they they just give you money, but it's OPM money, it's right. fiat money. You know, they don't care. It's not theirs. So, and, well, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it wasn't uh, ill-gotten gains. You know, let's be honest about it. You know, uh, Big Brother was taking care of Little Brother, and, uh, and you know he earned that money, and it's his absolute right to share the wealth with his uh, younger brother. Why the hell not? Can't argue with that. Well, what I did was uh, I am a one-time loser. Never again will I say the two words, yes, dear. And, um, you know, I, I, I live very modestly, and uh, I don't really fret about tomorrow's bread. So, in other words, I keep... In, there's a line in the Bible, pride comes before the fall. And yeah. if, you're, if you're trying, like, if, you're, if you've been watching, like, the Viceland um, uh, Dark Side of the Ring. Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Well, Dino Bravo had that uh, million-dollar home and the million-dollar cars and, the you know, had a high lifestyle. Yeah. And then when he, wrestling didn't love him anymore, that's where he... He got into organized crime, and then, they, you know, you make good money, but it's a very bad retirement plan. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a, a great segue, too, by the way, Landon. We actually have Dino Bravo's daughter coming on the show in two weeks. So she'll wow, be is she going to 
Doesn't she just speak French? She speaks French and English. She speaks a little bit of English. Okay. But we're, we will have an interpreter here for her. Uh, Mr. Oh. Murphy, you said you got an Irish name, but you said you're French. No, that, that's Messier that's uh, French. No, not, no, no, not French. That's Mike Messier that's French. That's me. No, Messier. Mike Murphy is, is Irish, but he's got like Italian grandmothers and and relatives. <laughs> Mike Messier, we're trying to figure out what he is. I'm I'm, fr- <laughs> I'm French, but uh yeah, I saw Dino Bravo's daughter. She maybe I'll maybe I'll learn French in honor of her, Angelo, if I'm on the panel that night. <laughs> she's too many mics on the show, uh, Angelo. She's actually a full-blooded Italian girl who speaks French. Well, um, if I could ask a, another question to Absolutely. Lanny. Of course on, you can. On, well, on, on this topic, Lanny, because you brought up the Dino Bravo thing, and, you know, one thing that was really heartbreaking as a pro wrestling fan in the late 90s, we started seeing gentlemen like Kurt Henning, um, you know, Rick Rude, Bam Bam Bigelow's junkyard dog in a car accident. So many guys from that rock and wrestling or golden era of wrestling that you were a part of so many guys in that generation passed away for one reason or another before their time how and of course your your own brother the macho man you know years later although he had a great run in wcw you know before that but of those guys that i just mentioned how did that? How does that feel for you? Because I'm getting to the age myself where a lot of my friends are passing away at young ages. How did you survive that? How do you how do you compartmentalize that uh, when when friends of yours, colleagues, start to pass on? Oh, I'll tell you what. Um, you know, gentlemen, I have to it, step out. A second. Some oh. some of it is. Um, because of some of it was drug induced, you know, like, um, and even the toxicology reports would indicate that. Right. So, hmm. you know, like, uh, I loved Roddy Piper, but people said, isn't that too bad he died at 61? I said, well, I love him, but you know, I can't believe he made it to 61 with the stuff he was doing. Yeah. Right. You know, True. and, uh, and trust me, there's nobody in the business I love more than Roddy Piper. You know, what a fantastic guy, best personality, uh, great interview, everything, uh, charming person, um, care, caring, uh, sincere, and uh, the drugs ruined his personality, too. Mm. You know, he uh, he had a lot more to offer than, and, you know, I hate drugs. Yeah. And he, Absolutely. He, he called it, too, Roddy Piper, a couple of years before he died. He was doing an interview, and he mentioned the pension plan kicks in at 65 and he just kind of was like, but I'm not going to see 65. We all know that. And, and it was, it was just a throwaway line, but he, he called it. Well, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy for Roddy. Cause you know, one thing that if you, okay. If you knew Roddy and I got to know him a little bit, Roddy was self-destructive. Roddy was Roddy's worst, his own worst enemy. There were a lot of guys like that. Buddy Landell was the same way. He was his own worst enemy. But wrestling is filled with guys that are their own worst enemy. Right. And, you know, and I think, um, you know, their punishment is to be a, a wrestler. Quite frankly. Quite frankly. Yeah. You know, 
Um, so let's uh, let's turn the subject a little bit. Uh, Lanny, what did you learn from ICW? What did you learn well, that stayed I, with you? I learned that um, I didn't want to be a promoter. You know, um, people say, how, how come you don't run shows now? I said, because I did then. I said, I didn't like it then and I won't like it now. I, yeah. Too much stress. I don't like stress. Yeah. Um, I'm 65. I just want to have peace. And I mean P-E-A-C-E, not the other one. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I hear you, my friend. I hear you. Well, go ahead, Mike Murphy. Uh, Lanny, um, also myself being a semi-retired worker, um, what was, and we all know in the business, you're going to get hurt eventually. It's it's not avoidable. What was the worst injury you ever sustained? Uh, you know, in the, while you were in the business, uh, I was wrestling uh, Big Boss Man every night. He was trying to get over, and we were in Newfoundland in a. It seemed like a forever uh, tour of Newfoundland, and the first time I wrestled him, he kept doing that bubble slam. Oh my God! And I said, hey, can, oh, you, yeah. can you stop that? You're hurting me. And he said, no, I got to keep doing it. As I'm trying to get over. And I said, but there's no TV cameras in Newfoundland. You know, you yeah. can throw, set your hair on fire and nobody will care here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, uh, he kept doing it and I kept hurting my neck. And, um, you know, now I can't even shoot baskets because it aggravates the, you know, the injury. Right. That yeah. And uh, it was all, I don't know. I think it's, uh, let's just say some people take liberty with yeah. uh, their opponent. Mm-hmm. Let, Lanny, I'm going to tie into that. I always like to ask people that have had a lot of ring time this same question because it, it just fascinates me that I've never gotten the same answer twice. What's the difference between getting over and being over well a lot of people get over and only very few people get to be over okay okay um once you get the um once you get a certain level you become wrestling royalty in the 80s it was Macho Man, Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, um, and uh, Roddy Piper. And then the 90s came, and it was The Rock and Stone Cold. And you can go on and on. And uh, You know what I mean? It's, and it's all a matter of opinion. But every once in a while, somebody is over. And they become, you know, with their face on Mount Rushmore. Yeah. That's an interesting take on it. Like well, Lanny, I'll tell you what, I want to, I want to say thank you for giving us uh, this much of your time. I know I said I'd keep you about an hour. We're at an hour and 15 right now. I am going to let you go, but I am going to ask you if you'll uh, consider coming back with us. Very good. Thank you so much. And, uh, I must say, um, you just had a guest that is, um, somebody I respect very much. And that is Magnum T.A. And uh, I love him, and uh, what a great 
man, he is. Uh, he really um, is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, of course, Evan Ginsberg, um, Tony Bellano, uh these are all my friends. And yeah. um, the reason, you know, um, actually, Tony's the reason that I did your podcast uh, because, you know, he asked me to. And uh, yeah. I'm not in the habit of saying no to Tony Bellano because I love him. <laughs> yeah. I'd be afraid to say no to Tony. <laughs> I would. Yeah, Tony's wanna... a great guy. Lanny, you and I actually have quite a few mutual real life friends. And uh, I'm honored to have those friends. They, they've opened a lot of doors for me, my friend. They really have. And since you're, since you're, living, since you're near Philadelphia, you must be friends with Bill Epter. Believe it or not, I, I don't know, Bill. I really well, he lives don't. In, he lives in Philadelphia, and, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's around. You know, I don't... Yeah, well, he actually he, he lives right outside of Philadelphia in Norristown, Pennsylvania. And, and he's uh, about 10 minutes from me. Yeah, he sure is. Um, I, I know people who know him very well. I've actually, believe it or not, in... 48 years in the business, I have never met Bill Apter, and that's the, that's a shoot. You know? Well, you're missing a lot because he's an excellent person, and uh, you know, maybe one day your paths will cross. I, I certainly hope so because we got a great show coming up uh, yeah, about wrestling writers, and I'd love to have him on. I really would. Uh, maybe I want to reach out to, to Bill Apter, and maybe I'll have Mike Messier do that. Uh, Lanny, thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Um, if you feel so inclined, the invite is open-ended. You are welcome here anytime you wish. Thank you very much. You guys have a beautiful day, and thanks for a very good interview. I enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you, thanks Lanny. Thanks so much, thank Lanny. You, Lanny. Take care, my friend. Lanny Pablo, everybody. Bye-bye, Lanny. That was a great interview. Great, great interview with Lanny Poffo. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, Dan. Yes. We've been, man, we've been racking them up on the show here lately, brother. Yeah. It's been, it's been a good run. And he mentioned, I mean, within a few, the span of a few days, Magnum TA, Evan Ginsburg, and Lanny Poffo. That's a, that's a hell of a week for any show. You, and uh, wait a minute. And one more. We don't, don't, don't forget Nikita Brezhnikov. That's right. Yeah, Mikey had an, an interview with Nikita for the Refs Roundtable. Now, Mikey, that, that interview, will uh, that'll be airing tonight. It's actually already up on YouTube, but it's going to hit the audio platforms, uh, you know, uh, our iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Podbean, Podbay. Um, who the hell am I missing? Uh, <laughs> I a lot. That- Apple Podcasts, I think you're uh, on yeah. there. Yeah, Apple. Yep. We're. I mean, we're. If you can find a podcast, we're there. Yeah, pretty much any platforms. So over over a hundred. A hundred and twenty-two worldwide, Dan. Yep. And uh, and and, let me share some news with you. Please do. Let me share some news with you. I was going to save this for the absolute end of the show, but I'm going to tell you guys now. Because you're my friends and I like you. Thanks. Well, I like <laughs> most of you. No, I, mean, I like it. I love you all. <laughs> Wrestling with the future broke the million download mark. Congratulations, nice. Angelo. That's great. 
And thanks to the audience. 1,042,717. Was that awesome. was that for all the shows for the week? That how- was as of airtime tonight for the week. Yep. That's awesome. Yes, sir. Well, thanks to the listeners, yes, because uh, yeah. without the listeners yeah. listening, then we wouldn't have anybody. Yeah, the ever-growing audience. Yeah. Uh, one of the, I mean, I know, Angelo, you you uh, kind of half mentioned it in jest, but it is legitimately one of the fastest-growing wrestling shows. In oh, why didn't so. mention it in jest, brother? I'm as serious as a heart attack. That, that's serious. We are a growing player in the podcast market. Um it's just, it's amazing. You know, Jeff the ref used to call us the little podcast that could. <laughs> and I said, and we did. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I, Angela, if I could say something on, on you, I don't want to speak out of turn, but. Go ahead. If there are, uh, I would think that if there are sponsor uh, possibilities, if anyone out there runs a business, whether it's a small business, big business, talk to Angelo. Because uh, perhaps advertising on the show or on the website would be something that you could work out with Angelo and get us while it's good. Because this would be the best time for uh, a sponsor to come on and join and partner with us as we move forward. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're we're always open to, you know, to be honest with you, I have, you know, I've had, I have a full plate. I really do. Yeah. And, and, you know, in fact, Dan, and by the way, you did a hell of a job last night well thank you um i like the uh i like the flow of the show i like the fact that you just sat back and let evan talk because all you got to do is you ask evan ginsburg one question right yeah it's a night off for you brother <laughs> it's a night off it really is he had he had a, he had a lot of good stories i was a good i'm glad oh i got my that god chance. you had barely scratched the surface with evan please are you kidding me you could do a five-parter on Evan. He'll never tell the same story <laughs> twice. I love Evan Ginsberg. Um, but I've, I've had, you know, I mean, I've got such a full plate, and I've got so much going on. And I, yesterday, and I just want to say, everybody, you know, I missed being on the show last night, but you know what? I needed the night off. I hey, really you deserved did. it. And then to you give know. Angelo credit here yeah. on behalf of everybody. And my wife got a chuckle out of it. She said, yeah. Since when are you on assignment? <laughs> she says, you're sitting here in your pajamas. I said, Shh, I'm on assignment. <laughs> well, what, but, no, I was, I was feeling like shit yesterday. I couldn't move. My back was killing me. It was, you know, it's, I just had a, a, a couple of like rough days. Man, you know, and, and I went and had that whole story written up about you being on assignment. Less than a day later, you're breaking <laughs> kayfabe on the show. Well, look at that. <laughs> The real scoops happen here. We said you were out hunting new guests for the show, Angelo. You should have let us bring, bring in the best story. content. <laughs> we, was, we said you were out. Well, you know, it, this is a, it's a no K fave zone. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no K fave zone. Um, but no, I, uh, you know, I mean, I spend a lot of time working the phones. Uh, I would love to be able to go out and, you know, grab a sponsor i just i simply don't have the time i just don't have the time to do it i just well, that's really why don't. they they should be coming to you is what i'm saying that if the sponsor is out there listening well, they I'm will come open. to you come on they will come to you <laughs> bring we'll, it we'll, my way i'm here we'll, we'll take some blue chew money we'll take some uh little blue pills or whatever Look, right. harry's <laughs> club you know harry's razor club 
uh, blue chew, <laughs> you know, audio books or whatever. I'll you take know, them all. It, it doesn't even have to be themed. One of the one of the main sponsors of the the drive through the the Jim Cornette podcast is Manscape, which is specifically a uh, shaving those areas. Hey, look, you know, I hear I will Jim have Cornette pitch pitch uh, a testicle shaver is always my highlight uh, of brother, my week. Let me tell you, this show is open anytime for a uh, a ball manicure club. <laughs> anytime, anytime. I think, I think it was oh, the I members of. I gotta get going. Okay, <laughs> you better sit your ass right there. By the way, speaking of sitting your ass right there, Uh-oh. don't start with me. <laughs> Can you take a piss before the show so you don't get up in the I, middle I, of my? Of my Look, show, I'm calling you out in front of a hundred thousand people now. Shut up! I took look. I took a piss before the show. All right. Well, listen. I'm going to put Dan on. You don't forget. Dan is my co-host now. He's got authority. Okay. Yeah. Okay. If I put him on your, you're in trouble, pal. Okay. Oh, you're I'm in deep my shit. Right. Don't <laughs> rub them sideburns all over your ass. You'll be in serious shit then. <laughs> You'll have chase burns. You won't be able to sit down on that motorcycle of yours. Yeah. At least my feet can hit the ground. (laughs) So let me tell you, we have, we have had a, a, an amazing couple of weeks. We got a lot of stuff coming up. We've got, uh, holy shit. We got Sam Houston coming up. Brian Pillman next week. Um, Brian Pillman jr. Yes. Let's distinguish. Yeah. We've got, uh, be thoroughly uh, impressed of, if we had Brian Pillman on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah we've got um, we've got a, a couple of uh, very special episodes of the Refs Roundtable, uh, Roundtable discussions coming up. Um, so let's talk about tonight's show. That was really remarkable, and Lanny gave us, you know, very very generous with his time. He gave us a lot of time tonight. Yeah, yeah you know. I said to him, he goes, how long you want to go? I said, look, give me 45 minutes to an hour, and I'm a happy camper. He gave us an hour and 15 minutes. Um, I can't ask more than that. Yeah, and, and so with Mike everything. Messier, what do you think? Uh, I think? I think, you know, the funny thing is, and, and Lanny said it about halfway through the interview, survivor's guilt. And, uh, you know, look, I mean, something that maybe all of us can relate to in one way or another, and maybe the younger members of the audience Absolutely. Can't relate to that yet, and that's good. Yeah. But when you're talking about your older brother, Macho Man Randy Savage, you know, passing away in, in a horrible car accident and a heart a heart situation, um, yeah. People people that never met Randy Savage still talk about Randy Savage and miss Randy Savage. Yeah. And this is his brother. They were brought mm-hmm. up together. Oh, not sure. only Not only in the business, but in in life, in the family, eating dinner. Oh God, together. yeah. Right. And and so. What I'm try what I try to do with one of my questions was say, Hey Lanny, I was perfectly fine with not talking about Macho Man all night because when you talk about the genius, you talk about Leap and Lanny, yeah. you talk about the poetry and the suit of armor. Sure. To me, um like a lot of people, Lanny really has to give himself a little bit more credit. Uh absolutely that he has I, thank had a you great for career. saying that. Thank you, Mikey, for saying that because it's absolutely true. Yeah, you uh, the one thing that I that I didn't want to do, if if Lanny chooses to broach the subject, that's completely his prerogative. Right. It was his brother. He could choose to talk about him. I didn't want to be the one to broach the subject because 
as I said, and I, I you heard me say it to him himself. Uh, you know, it's been done. It's been redone. It's, he's talked about Randy. I mean, in every interview he's ever done, it's all about Randy. I wanted to talk about Lanny. Sure. Yeah. And that goes to what Mike was saying. I mean, yes, you know, Randy Savage is e- easily one of the most prolific performers in the business. Oh, sure. But Lanny Poffo was one of the big names of the territory days, and the genius was one of the more popular gimmicks, yeah. uh, at least as far as crowd reaction. Um, even Lee Lanny, you know, and then his his infamous four year paid vacation from WCW. People still talk about that when it comes to contracts. Yeah, well, that money. my friend was genius. I mean, he, exactly. I mean, he's yeah. got so much of his own to to be proud of and to talk about. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, I, I I like that we could we could do that because he has he has some stories and he's influenced a lot of people. Oh sure, that's why I he, he will be back. He will be back for a part two. I I already know that. I like it. Um, so Mike Murphy, you got to ask the uh, the first question tonight. Well, see that like uh, what they were saying. That's why with my questions, I tried to move them off. It's like okay, you're leaving Lenny Poffo, you know the genius and all. Yeah, you're Randy Savage's brother. That's what I tried to stay away from. Instead of him being, you know, because I'm sure for years growing up, he was, oh, well, that's Randy Macho Man Savage. That's Randy's brother. Mm-hmm. I tried yeah. to stay away from that to where yeah. it was more like, hey, I want to know about Lanny Poffo. Yeah. I want to know about, you know, what's he like? What what what's it, what do you like to do on your off time? Do you, you know, uh, you know, what? And in in some wrestling questions, what was you know the worst injury you had? Um, you know, who was your favorite wrestler to work? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that kind of thing, and and make it mostly about him. Yeah, I think we did a, a real. You know, I'm going to compliment all of us. I think we did a really good job of mixing it up, um, without bringing it down too much. For the most part, um, right. Mike Messier is giving me that that look of guilt. There's no there's no guilt on my end. I thought it was a great discussion. I think um, no, it was it was a good discussion. I didn't, you know, when you, I was getting a little nervous. I'll be honest with you. When you were starting to talk about all these wrestlers who passed, I went, "Oh, Mike, don't go there, Mike." Because <laughs> I I you went somewhere different, thankfully, but I thought you were going down this road that I was trying to veer away from but you, you pulled it and you pulled it in and it was it was a good question oh thanks um no you got me a little scared there because you happen to do that sometimes you know did you, you did nervous. you think i was did you think i was going to ask him about the 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 way these here's, guys here's away? what i do here's what i do when you get like that <laughs> i look at i look at dan in the camera like this and i go you know yeah, this, he, he, he used this but, is all he used both hands he, he, uh, yeah. I saw that second hand coming up. I almost got yeah. a double face. This, this, is, this is like the Criterion collection uh, behind the scenes. Yeah. But my, this my, is what Dan the man sees. We, well, <laughs> uh, it, was, it wasn't, I wasn't trying to expose how different wrestlers passed away. It was more that Lanny had mentioned survivor's guilt in regards to his brother. But for yeah. me, the bigger question or the bigger topic for all of us is 
Lanny was in a generation of guys, let's be honest, 30 or 40% of those guys are not with us anymore. Well, he was part of a generation of guys, largely men who lived their gimmick. Let's not forget. Yeah. You know, I'll give you an example. I'll give you a perfect example. And, Mikey, you'll appreciate this being a, a filmmaker. Yes, you have an actor. You hire an actor to play a role. Yep. Okay. Let's say Susie has to play Maria. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. She plays Maria on camera. When you say cut, she can go home and be Susie again. Right. Okay. Randy Savage can't go home and be Randy Poffo. Correct. He's Randy Savage. Yep. Okay. Hulk Hogan can't go home and be Terry Bollea. He's Hulk Hogan. In other words, the point I'm making is these guys, they have to be who they are 24-7. You can't go out in public and say, oh, no, I'm not Hulk Hogan. My name's Terry Bollea. Because everybody looks at you and goes, bullshit, you're Hulk Hogan. Right. Just, just, Just to touch on some of that. Angelo, and you know as well as I do, you know, you were in the business for all the years, and, you know, me being in the business, even in the indie circuit. Yeah, absolutely. It's heel. If you're a face, yeah, you sign autographs outside and stuff like that. Of course you do. Yeah. But if you're a heel, you either, you got one of two choices. You can either walk out and push people out of your way and be the heel. Yeah. And say, yeah, get out of my way. You know, you're all trash and that kind of thing. Yeah. Or you can sit back in the dressing room mm-hmm. for an extra hour and while I they're full wait, wait for everybody to go home. Down the right. ring, you're sitting there waiting so you can get go out to your car. Yeah, I know. Because I know. you really don't when I was when I was face, I, I remember one quick story in particular. I was in uh, Dillsburg, PA, at the big event center, which, and that's actually what it's called. Uh, I know. I, I know. I was in. I was engaged to a nice young lady, and her aunt and uncle had come from Hamburg out to see the show. Yeah, got them tickets and all. I was with SSW, and we were getting ready to leave, and I was a face at the time. Yeah, and we were leaving the crowd, and or we were leaving through the crowd, and this little girl comes up to me and asks me for an autograph. And I'm like, sure, yeah. you know, I I write something out to her, well, then another one, and then another one. Yeah. This girl's uncle was trying to talk to me, and she grabs me, she says, look, we might as well go to the car, he'll be along, he's not going to leave here until anyone who wants his autograph has it. Yeah. It's a rule that I picked up when, and I touched on, when, he, when Lanny was saying about taking care of the fans. Yeah. When I was a face, I wouldn't leave an arena until anyone who wanted my autograph had it. Right. Yeah, and that's 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 your job as a face. That's what you get paid for. You remember something? You get paid for the night, not the match. Exactly. Let me make that clear. I'm going to say that for every indie wrestler watching the show. You get paid for the night. Not the match. That means from the time you get to the building to the time you leave the building to the time you get in your car, you're on the payroll. You're on the clock. 
And if a kid comes up and says, can I have an autograph? You, your answer better be yes, absolutely. Okay. Oh, your I, job doesn't stop when, when the bell goes ding, ding, ding. Right. I, t- I told a kid who was green in the business. We were at the, I was at the Wanaku uh, Children's Hospital. We were doing a free show. Right. And this kid came up to him and asked him for an autograph. And he's like, sure. I don't even remember what the kid's name, the guy's name was. It was right. actually his first match. It was a battle royal. He turns around and looks at me and goes, man, I can't believe it. I just signed my first autograph. I said, that's cool. I should remember one thing. Mm-hmm. So what's that? I said, if you learn nothing else in this business, they want your autograph. Absolutely. They don't need your autograph. Absolutely. And he thought about it. And he's like, yeah, I get that now. I yeah. said, there you go. It's a pretty simple proposition. That's how you get yourself over. Yep. And that well, goes to the what you were asking about with getting over versus being over. Being over. There's a big difference between getting over and being over. Okay. Yeah. Some people don't have to work at it. Some people have to work at it really, really hard. Right. Okay. Randy Savage didn't have to work at being over. He was over. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was over from get go. Yeah. Exactly. Lanny, on the other hand, had to work at it. Right. You know, you know, not everybody has Randy Savage's physique and and stayed over. I think I think it's a testament, Mike. Go ahead, Dan. It's a testament to the performers, too, because, you know, you'd have to think of, you know, Randy Savage, this, you know, larger than life, the the late, you know, with the look and the the sounds like, okay, I could see that making sense. Then you, you you. In a vacuum, think about the mentality of we're going to have a good-looking guy wear a cap and gown and read poetry. That, <laughs> on paper, sounds like a terrible idea. I know. But it works because you had the right person doing it. There are so many good gimmicks and so many good yeah. people through, this, through the years that have gotten over. And when you, when you think about it, in a vacuum, they had no business being anywhere near the card. But Absolutely. it worked for them. Well, we've seen, hold on, Mike, we've seen time and time again, the perfect gimmick on the wrong guy. Yes. We've seen that historically time and time again. Right. We we talked. uh, And they go over like a fart in church. Exactly. You know, it came up on the show last week with not uh, easy. People don't understand, Dan. They don't understand how much work goes into getting someone over right they just they don't they think okay um let me see this guy's personality in real life is this okay so we'll do this with him and you go out and what you do is you either give them too much which never gets over right or you don't give them enough which doesn't get over right there has to be this thing it's called balance it's balance. It's the right person at the right time with the right gimmick. But now Lanny all, got also, lucky. Go ahead, Mike. Also, like you said, also sometimes they get lucky and the dumbest gimmick, the dumbest thing on earth, shoots right to the top and is so over. Uh, for example, Doink the Clown. I'll give you one better. 
I'll give you one better that's classic. And all you right. all you all know it. You all know it. Adrian Adonis in the flower shop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. What was more ridiculous than Adrian Adonis <laughs> in the flower shop? Oh, I know, yeah. But he got it over. He got such how, heat for how that. How did he do it? Here's how he did it. Simple psychology. Simple psychology. He took the idea and went so far over the top that people had to either accept it as what it, as the gimmick that it was or laugh at it for the gimmick that it was. Right. But either way, both scenarios got it over. They did laugh at it. Mm-hmm. They absolutely, Mikey. You're shaking your head. Well, I, I got to say, Angelo, from my perspective as a, as a young kid, that, that Adrian, adorable Adrian Adonis, exactly. 1986, going into WrestleMania three, and he brought that over with him to the AWA to a lesser success. But yeah, that that character was hated, and that was the time of AIDS. That yep. was the time of the homosexual community um, being vilified in a lot of yep. ways. But they were fighting for their rights. Yeah, And unlike the Goldust character 10 years later, that you could kind of make a case that Goldust was was fighting. Not even close, Mikey. No, what I'm saying is that Adonis' character was getting hatred heat, in my opinion. He was getting real heat. Yeah. That's the reason he got over. You can't make the comparison to Goldust. Because Goldust, by his very definition, was androgynous. Well, I was going to say... You didn't know what Goldust was. Well, but my, my point to bring it up was that and Goldust... you were supposed to know. Well, Gold, the whole point. Right, but Goldust was almost getting uh, cool, like Vanguard, David Bowie. David that, Bowie uh, as um, Iggy Stardust. And there, therein lies the difference. Therein lies the difference because age, adorable Adrian Adonis was hated, and right. that's what got him over. Remember something. It doesn't matter if they're talking about you good or if they're talking about you bad, as long as they're well, talking about, talk you. about you. Talking about you gets you over. If people are talking about you, you're over. How oh. long you stay over depends on how long they're talking about you. Go ahead, right. Dan. Well, no, I was saying that's a fair point in relation to Goldust because, you know, Adrian Adonis was very much the, the well, I guess the modern term, they call it go away heat versus the crowd reaction. But yeah, and I, and think, I got a problem with that term I, I, because there's no yeah, such so thing. Do I. I'm just there's I'm saying no that's, such thing as go away heat. It you, you have heat or you don't. It's well, that I, I'm, I remember um, when I first got involved in in you know kind of being part of like the old message the early days of the message boards we back the back in the the 90 late 90s we called it x-pac heat it was the, the yeah you know x-factor um, just incredible yeah. <laughs> Prince but um i i think i think that certain bits work but to go off of of what you were saying is like some of the some of the business it, it, it's it, it's it's crazy how you know um I, one of the things I, I love to joke about is, is some of the ads you see like a commercial on tv it's like thank god i don't work for an ad campaign because if you yeah. came to me and said we're going to use cows to sell chicken sandwiches fired get out of my office <laughs> <laughs> that, 
Dan, if I if I could, I want to. Angelo, you I, you know this. I'm going to bring this up. I'm putting you on the spot. Good. This goes back to what 2003 at the Good. San Francisco Casino. Good. We did that show. Uh, about a week before the show, on the local cable access and local channels down in Atlantic City, and this is when they still had them. You know. Yeah. Uh, they ran. They ran promos for the show with the Sands. Yeah. They had, a, you know, Angelo said, hey, I need you here on this date at this time. You know, bring your gear because you might be dressed in street clothes or you might be in your gear. You know, that kind of thing. He said, we're going to cut yeah. promos for the show. Yeah, sure did. And I said, okay. I had a TV well, crew and everything. Right. Uh, yeah. Pretty boy Larry Sharp was there. I was, sure there. was Ravage, also known as Bodacious Brad. Uh, Mike Thorne was there. Now, the funny thing is, Mike Thorne and I had known each other for a while, and we had worked each other a couple times. Right. Now, we're walking through the crowd going up to the interviews area. Well, you got to, you know, you got to play the role. Even if you're walking through the casino, you play the role. Well, the one mm-hmm. gentleman who we saw at the last show over in Jersey that I went to with him, what was his name? Is it the Walker type deal? Oh, Tim. Tim. Yeah, Tim. Tim is between me and Mike Thorne. Yeah. Well, Mike, I had worked it out walking through the crowd. We're going to get heat with each other. And we're, and, we're, and we're talking big shit to each other. Like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll slap you so hard I'll knock the taste out of your mouth. Right. You know, you'll wake up, your clothes will be out of style. <laughs> okay. And we're talking, and people were looking at us, and, oh, those are the wrestlers. Those guys really hate each other. And, you know, the only thing we didn't do was say something about each other's mother, you know? Yeah. But, okay, 24 hours later, I get a phone call. Hello, Mike. Yeah. What the fuck? What kind of heat do you have going with Mike Thorne? Yeah. Angela, what are you talking about? <laughs> Tim said you and him had heat. You got heat with this guy? I'm like, Angelo, it, we were working. You, what? I said, it was a work. <laughs> I said, doesn't Tim know the difference? He says, dude, he came up to me after you guys left. He's like, I think these two really hate each other, you know. Still real to him, damn it. But it was the perfect example of here's a guy. Well, the problem was the but problem also was a mark. <laughs> well, yeah, he is he's a huge mark. <laughs> he's, it, 50, he's 56 years old and he still thinks it's real. Here's the problem though. <laughs> and it wasn't the fact that he's a mark, which he is, but the right. problem was nobody cleared it with me. Uh-oh. But it was that that was the problem. They didn't run it by the booking oh. committee first, huh? Well, I am the booking committee. Right. <laughs> was it over? Of course it was over. There you go. Absolutely. When you can make one of the people that works there believe that it's real, and he goes to the promoter and saying, Hey, we need to watch these guys. And Mike and I weren't even working together on that show. <laughs> no. He never even showed up for the show. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. That's well, why- guys, go ahead, Mike Messier. 
I wanted to make a, a comparison of Lanny Poffo and his brother, Macho Man Randy Savage, of the 80s, remind me of uh, Jeff and Matt Hardy of the, the next generation, the Attitude Era and beyond, in yeah. that, you know, one guy, Jeff, kind of like Macho Man Savage, was maybe more celebrated or, or, or exhibited uh, initially as a top guy. Yeah, but and in, in, it's not a perfect comparison, but in some ways, Lanny, uh, maybe like Matt Hardy, is the more grounded, more cerebral, more down to earth guy. And uh, I'm glad Probably. that we, I'm, I'm glad that we've had both both Macho Man and Leap and Lanny uh, in our lives as as wrestlers. And yeah. uh, that book that you have behind you on your on your uh, presentation tonight, Angelo, yeah. I, I I own that book. Uh, mm-hmm. I had a copy of that book actually, and it's a fun book to read. It was he's part actually of- Lanny's actually got a couple of books out. Yeah, he's ha- he has a children's book out too. That's great. Did you guys know that he's got a children's book not. out? Yeah, he also wrote a book. He wrote a whole book. Check this out. He wrote a whole book on why you shouldn't smoke, and maybe I should read that book. Yeah, he, he I has smoke entirely done a lot of. He has done a lot of health advocacy the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And he's been very smart. He saved his money. His father gave him some very wise advice. S-Y-M. Save your money. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. Well, guys, if there's nothing else, let's go around and give the plugs. Murphy, we'll start with you. Uh, I don't have any. Yeah, you do. Mike right, Murphy on Facebook. <laughs> huh? Mike Murphy on Facebook. Well, yeah, that's that goes without saying. <laughs> well, you, no, it doesn't go without saying. You have to say it, schmuck. <laughs> Don't you start with me, I swear to God. <laughs> Mike Messier, show him how it's done, brother. Well, you know, <laughs> Mike, MikeMessier.com is there for all your Mike Messier needs, wants, and desires. Um, the Mike Messier YouTube page has got uh, Wrestling Son. The Impeccable was released on May 5th because it was filmed on Cinco de Mayo mm-hmm. 2018 and takes place on Cinco de Mayo. Uh, that's a film that I wrote, directed, and produced. Yeah. Um, the Avalonia Film Festival is still accepting submissions. I want to thank all the filmmakers. You can find us on Film Freeway or AvaloniaFestival.com. Yeah. Most, most importantly... Uh, last night, I taped a very special episode of the Refs Roundtable with Nikita Brezhnikov, and uh, that's available now on the Wrestling with the Future podcast family. We also taped an episode with uh, Dan the Man and Evan Ginsberg of the Wrestling with the Future podcast, and uh, just happy to be involved. Uh, it's been a big week here for the podcast team, and um, just uh Keep on trucking there, everybody. MikeMessier.com. That, my friend, is how you get yourself over. There you go. Dan the man. You got Mike, to find Mike, work. Mike, Mike got himself over so hard, he plugged the first episode I hosted. That's right. There you go. <laughs> plugged, good. Plugged, t- t- took my thunder. No, um, <laughs> like, like Mike said, uh, check us out on YouTube. Uh, we also have our Twitter page, Wrestling Future. That's Wrestling No G. Wrestling Future. I'm on Twitter now at the man underscore WWTF. And uh, we have our Facebook groups. Check us out uh, wherever you can find your podcasts. 
And and I appreciate that. And by the way, you did a hell of a job. Uh, again, I want to say thank you for for hosting the show last night. It was a great show. You and Mikey did a great job with Evan. Um, I enjoyed it so much that I'm going to have you do it again. Uh-oh. And, yeah, you're going to do it again. And I'm going to tell you who you're going to interview right now for the whole world to see. <laughs> We'll find out live together. Are you pulling a name out of the hat like Lethal Lethal Battle? No, I'm going. I will be on the show, but I'm not going to. I'm going to sit back and be, you know, just a participant. Gotcha. I'll put you, Mikey, and Dan are going to interview Scott Teal, the writer. Correct. Scott Teal, the writer. Yes. Very accomplished writer in the wrestling genre. Yes, I will be on the show because it's my show, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm going to sit back and ask questions just like the rest of you. I'm going to let you run that one. All right. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, no, I I know the name. I look forward to that. Yeah, everybody knows the name Scott Teal. He's he's written Mikey what like two hundred plus wrestling books. Yeah, he he often is brought in as a co-writer uh, for professional mm-hmm. wrestlers doing their autobiographies. If mm-hmm. I'm not and mistaken, I think his uh, um, the Crowbar Press, right? Yes. Yeah. That, okay. I believe so. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. We've done three shows this week, you guys, and it's been a bang up show. Like boom, boom, boom. Uh, and the next week, because we got Brian Pillman Jr., that's going to be a great show. Yes, um, because he's coming good. back twice for us. He, and he um, does. He does know that I have his father's action figure tattooed on my leg, right? He knows that. No, he doesn't. <laughs> but you're going to show him. He actually. He he does know. We've been in touch for years, actually. Uh, oh, okay. Because he Brian. won't it won't freak him out. Has Brian he ever seen it? Uh, I will. Seen it. Yeah. I will try and get hold of Bill after. Do that. Yeah, seeing as how I live 10 minutes away from him. <laughs> well, yeah, reach out to him. If you can get him on right. the show, that's great. Because I've yeah. tried to get him on the show, and I can't get him. Yeah. Keeps avoiding me. I think he's afraid. <laughs> <laughs> Either that, or well, I'll try and get hold of uh, Mad Dog Michael Tearson. Who the fuck is that? Mad Dog Tearson was a radio show host here in Philly on... 93.3 and 94 YSP. In the uh, Daily News, he also had uh, a wrestling um, column called... Um, well, I know you have no idea. You don't know how to I'm read. I'm talking to you. I'm talking <laughs> to Dan. <laughs> we're we're kind of... We're, we're both uh, mutually shrugging here. No no offense to your friend, but I've never heard of him either. He used to have a, he used to have a weekly column... In uh, the uh, the Daily News, and uh, the Daily News went out of business thirty years ago, Mike. <laughs> you know what? Never mind. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> Matt, darling. Yeah, you, know what? Man, you, you you might want to edit that edit that out on the YouTube video. Uh, I Angelo, yeah. end it with the plugs. Uh, all right, you what, you I... get somebody on who knows about wrestling. I'll get you somebody who knows about wrestling. Facebook.com forward slash wrestling with the future. Questions and comments to wrestling with the future at gmail.com. We now have a private group on Facebook. It's wrestling with the future podcast. That's our private group. We have a public page. It will only be up for a few more days. That will come down. 
You will have to join the private group to get into that one. All right, folks. Take care. Have a great time. Be safe. Enjoy your weekend coming up. For Dan the Man Sebastiano, Mike Messier, and Mike Armageddon Murphy, I'm Psychic Medium Angelo. Happy wrestling, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>